Welcome to the podcast stream for the sermons from Orchard Hill Church. We are so thrilled that you found us. If you have questions about our church or want to support us financially, head over to our website, ohohio.com. We'd love to hear from you. Enjoy. Our words of life this week for our final week in our Bear Fruit series comes from John 15. And I read verses 1 through 16 to you. Jesus told his disciples, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will become even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And then the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. The word of the Lord. So as we get going, I want to dismiss our fourth and fifth graders. If you have a fourth or fifth grader, they can follow Patty here in the purple shirt. She's going to be teaching our class today. Man, and Patty was psyched up in the hallway. I don't know what she's got in store, but it's probably going to be amazing because Patty's amazing. Uh, So our fourth and fifth graders are heading out. Uh, We are going to be capping our series on bare fruit. Uh, Hopefully you have enjoyed this. This is a... uh, a dear passage to me, and one that's really shaped the vision of our church a lot. Uh, so I kind of want to review where we've been as we build uh, this final week into our conversation. So if you've missed it, like this is going to be the super quick cliff notes. You can find all of our sermons. We have a podcast stream. We have stuff on our website. If you've missed something and you're like, I want to hear more about that, you can go check it out there. Uh, in our first week, we talked about Uh, how you are a branch of the true vine and you've been made alive in Christ. If you weren't here, we had inflatable tube men who were dancing along with T. Earl, which was amazing. Um, But Jesus makes us alive with him and grafts us into himself and and gives us this picture so that we can understand what we were designed for, that we were made to bear fruit. And he makes us alive so that what we're made for, we can actually do. He gives us Jesus and the life of Jesus in his people actually produces the fruit of the kingdom, the fruit of the spirit. It's, it's like the evidence that God 
is at work in a people. And it produces naturally because things that are alive should do the things that they are made to do. Our second week, we talked about growth. There's like kind of like a chain that we've been using. So you've been made alive, you've been given life, and life leads to growth. In that second week, we talked about how you were made alive so that you can grow and mature. Like you, you weren't plugged into Jesus to just sit there and stay the way you are, but you were made to grow up and mature in all these ways, to become like Christ. And that uh, the beautiful gift of scripture and prayer and community that we're given are things that we are given so that we can make room for the life of Christ to grow us and mature us. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you're going to have to learn the Bible. You're going to have to learn to pray. You're going to have to learn to live in community with other believers if you're going to grow. The life of Christ is going to push you that way. And these are tools that God has given us, like means of grace, where his grace can transform and change us from the inside out in ways that are profound. A little plug here. In October, on Wednesdays, we're going to offer a class while uh, Orchard Hill Kids Go is happening and Student Ministry is happening in 105 that's just going to be the basics of the Bible. If the Bible is new to you and you like look at it and you're like, man, this is really intimidating and it's so thick and I start reading and I get to Leviticus and it makes me want to puke. Um, we'll help you understand the basics of how the Bible's written and the big story of scripture and how you can start to dive in it with it. And it can become a living and active thing that transforms you. We really want to equip you to do that. Um, but we're regularly putting these things. We want you to be in a group. We want you to join us in prayer. We want to learn to read the Bible together. Why? Because these things shape us and position us for the life of Christ to grow us up, to not leave us like we are, because that was never the intention of salvation. Like being saved is not the finish line. It's the starting line of a journey with Jesus. Last week when we celebrated baptism, that's, that, that's not the finish line. It's not like I went through the water and I'm done. Just going to grit my teeth and bear it for the rest of my life. No, God has a work he wants to continue in you. He wants to grow you. Last week, we talked about health and pruning. We talked about how Jesus carries a knife. You got to know the rules of knife fighting, right? You're going to get cut. But he doesn't carry a knife in a threatening way. He prunes us so that we can become more fruitful. He cuts back the things that keep us from bearing fruit. It's a refinement. It's a way of, that God intentionally moves in our life to move us away from what's killing us and towards what will help us thrive. It's this beautiful gift that we have to learn to embrace and make room for to, so that we can continue to mature and we can welcome that process more fully. So that leads us to today. We're going to talk about the last part of that chain, the fruit part. In verse 2 of John 15, he says, He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. I love how blatantly obvious and repetitive Jesus is with the vision that he has for what he wants of us. I put these two emojis together, and I've, I'm trying to make a habit of just texting this to people every once in a while. If you get this from me, what I'm telling you is you need to bear fruit. This is God's vision for his people. Like you read this parable over and over. It's like fruit, more fruit, more fruit. I'm going to prune you back and there's going to be more fruit. And you got to bear fruit and you bear fruit and you prune your disciple. Fruit, fruit, more fruit, 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 bears, bears. Um, what's the goal here? It's obvious. The entire vision of the future that, that Jesus has for his disciples is there's more fruit. Have you ever wondered why? Like why this? Why this metaphor? Why this picture? And part of it ties back to this, the, the image of a vineyard is something that God's used throughout scriptures to talk about his people. 
because of the care and the intentionality, but also the purpose and vision. You know, God told Abraham, he says, You're, you and your descendants are going to be a blessing to the entire world. Like it was a vision that what God was doing in Abraham was never just for Abraham, but there was a trajectory to this. God gives life that the world might live. That's a great, simple synopsis of what God's up to in the world. What God is doing is he's giving life because he wants the world to live. So if he's giving you life, it's for you, but it's not just for you. It's not just for Adam. He's not just blessing Adam so that Adam can just enjoy and be sated with blessing, but so that the blessing of God would extend from Adam into Adam's world. Every church that exists, whether they embrace it or not, exists because God wants their community to live. God wants the life of God to move from his people into all peoples and all places over all things. He so loves the world that he gives his only son. This should sound familiar. This is the vision of God. He says in verse 8, he says, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And so God is glorified. He's made known. He is seen evidentially because fruit is the proof of life. If you have an apple tree and it makes apples, you're like, that apple tree is alive because it's doing what it's made to do. The evidence is there. The fruitfulness is there. The life of a follower of Jesus should bear the evidence of the life that he gives. I was thinking about like uh, when I was a kid, this was a popular thing. I don't know if they still do this, uh, but they had these stickers that were like glow-in-the-dark stars that you could put up in your room at night. Did any of you ever have that experience? Um, I love those things. And I always would try to like get the lights like to supercharge them so that like, so I'd like turn on every light in my room before I went to bed and I'd turn them all off and I'd try to sit there because the lights would be like, it'd be like really, really bright. And of course, if I went to sleep and I woke up in the middle of the night, they're like barely there or they're gone, they fade. That's the concept of glory in scripture, if you really want to think about it. Glory was as close to describing the presence of God as possible. But the idea was that like you, when you were close to God, his glory like got on you. It like made you, you were the glow in the dark star and you were close to the light and you would glow. The image of Moses coming off the mountain with a glowing face, like think, think about it like he was a glow star. He was close to the presence of God. Anywhere God's glory shows up, it's almost as if he himself is showing up. And the beautiful thing about the picture that God paints here is that God, God doesn't just want you to be in proximity to him to where you have a glow that fades when you move away, but he gives you himself. Like, he is the light of the world, and he gives you himself so that you become the light of the world. Like, you're a glow star that's never without a light supercharging you. All the time. The, the, parable, the parable of the vine and the branch is, is really this idea that everything that you need to be fully light all the time, to be fruitful all the time, the source of everything that is like God is God. And he's like, I'm, I'm not just going to give you my glory. Like, I'm not going to give you a residual effect. I'm going to give you myself. That should blow us away. That's a remarkable idea. And this is God's divine strategy that when we bear fruit, it is, it's, it's as if the light of God is seen in a way that, that is unexplainable any other way. I had a conversation with some people this week. We were talking about how, um, 
the challenge that we have as a church in our society these days is we have to live in a way that's only explainable if Jesus is real. And that only happens when you make receiving and living out of the divine life that God is giving us a priority in every way. Because it's easy to be nice. We don't need more nice churches. We need more churches that bear fruit. And that's his vision, more fruit. He says in verse 5, I'm the vine and you're the branches. And if a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Remain in me, fruit. Apart from me, nothing. He's laying it out real clear. And there's this word here, remain. If you grew up in the church like I did, you might think like abide. It's the same the same words being translated there, but it's a really key word. It's all the way through this. Sorry, my mic's kind of being weird. Um, so today I want to expand on the relationship between these three things. Remaining, the love of God, and obedience. Because these things are all through John 15 in a way that we need to understand how they relate. Uh, and I want to start actually with the love of God. Um, in verse 9, Jesus says this, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. So this is a big idea, and it's one on the surface that if you hear it, you're like, oh yeah, I've, I've heard this before. <laughs> There's variations of this throughout the scripture, but this is actually one of the most profound transforming concepts for you to embrace with your mind and your heart in order to be a person who bears fruit through your life. I want to ask the question, how does the Father love the Son? Unconditionally, completely, eternally. Meaning that the Father didn't start loving Jesus when Jesus was obedient with the cross or just because he was out healing people. Like Before anything was ever created, there was an eternal, unconditional Love that the Father had towards the Son had nothing to do with his performance. It had nothing to do with uh, his obedience. It had to do with the fact that he was the Son. He was the Son. And because he was the Son, the Father loved him in an unequivocally amazing, unhindered way. And Jesus looks at his disciples and says, this is the way that I love you. Has nothing to do with your performance of the day, how faithful or unfaithful you have been or promised me to be, has nothing to do with whether you went to church or whether you did the checklist of things you might have in your mind, that the love of God is this unconditional, unyielding, complete thing that is rooted not in what you've done, but who you are. This is where Jesus starts the conversation about remaining or abiding in him. And that the conversation about obedience has to spring out of. Because if we're not careful, like we'll read this verse, verse 10. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have obeyed my father's commands and remain in his love. When we read this without the idea that in the same way that the Father loves the Son, the Son loves us, it can become, well, it's all conditional on what I do. It's all conditional 
on, like if I obey, then I abide. And if I do the wrong thing, whether I meant to or not, then all of a sudden I'm completely cut off. And we could feel like we can, we can believe. And guilt and shame and the way that the enemy uses lies just pile in on this. That we have to perform for God's love to remain in our life. And it's such a deadly trap. But remember, the model that Jesus is telling his disciples, he's like, in the same way that the Father loves me, so I love you. The Father loved Jesus for who Jesus was. Daughters and sons who are adopted, children of the kingdom, Jesus loves you the same way. He loves you the same way. And this is the foundation for this. That's where I, I like to think about obedience. It's more about alignment than rule-keeping. Now, some of you are, are rule-keepers, and you're like, for this reason, I'm out. I don't like where you're going with this, Drew. <laughs> I'm a rule-keeper. I like rules. Rules are good, and rules are good. As a parent, if you don't have a house with rules, you have unruly kids. That's where the word comes from. Um, rules are good, but rules are not the point of any household. Like, the point of rules is to guide your kids into relationship. They're boundaries that keep safety, security, morality, decency. They're the guide rails that teach us what it means to relate to one another in a way that makes sense. And God's commands of obedience are, are, are really the same thing. I mean, Paul talks about how the law leads us to Christ. It exposes our need for Jesus. But beyond that, rules and obedience, it's about relationship. It's not just about rule-keeping and task-managing. And again, we want to go to Jesus as our model for fruitful living. Last week, I talked about this concept of from rather than for. And I want to talk about this in the, the, this particular context, living from the love of God rather than for the love of God. Because this is so important, and this is particularly important for those of you who wrestle with guilt or shame because you grew up in a rule-based way of thinking about God. And again, God's not against rules, but rules aren't the point. Relationship is the point. Jesus never lived to make the Father love him. But instead, because the Father loved him, he lived from that love a faithful and obedient life. Jesus was never trying to prove how lovable he was. Instead, he knew he was loved from the foundation of the earth. Everything that he did sprung from the love of God. And so his obedience, and I love, this is couched in the conversation of the gospel of John because all throughout John, you see this amazing dynamic between the father of the son where Jesus is, is doing all these miraculous things that only the father could do it. And they keep asking, like, how is it that you do this? What is, and Jesus keeps saying, I don't do anything unless I see the father doing it. I don't say anything unless I see, like the father speaks to me. The, his deep dependence on God for everything was something that Jesus in this passage is extending to his disciples by saying, in the same way that I was loved by my father, that you've seen it and I've testified to you and you've seen the fruit of it, you have the same relationship now with me. And it's not because you've earned it, it's because you need my love to do it. It is from my love that you can be faithful. So obedience becomes about aligning our hearts, about us actually agreeing to 
yielding to, welcoming, surrendering God's vision for our life to be a fruit-bearing disciple in the world. Obedience is more about us saying yes and following in faith than it is about us having some checklist to then be loved. I've done the things, now God can bless me. It's such a backwards way of thinking. It's the way that pagans think about relating to God. It's not the way that Jesus relates to his Father. And so it's not the way that we're going to relate to him either. There's this picture here. It's not different for us. Like, if Jesus is the pattern of faithfulness, then I have to follow Jesus' pattern. Jesus' pattern was not one where he earned the love of God, but he lived from it at all times. That's why this promise is so amazing. In verse 15, he says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. That he says to his disciples, like, I'm moving you into a different kind of relationship. Like a servant-master relationship is one thing, but we're going the step beyond that. If you're going to be a branch of the vine, then that means everything I'm up to, I'm extending it through you. Like a vine and a branch have the same job, right? Fruitfulness. So he says, I'm, I'm not just calling you a servant. I'm going to call you friend. And the way I'm going to, I'm going to let you in on the game plan. And the game plan is fruitfulness. The game plan is your life. When you obey, you're aligning yourself with my purposes. You're making room for what I desire to happen in you, through you, and in the world that I've made to be unleashed. That's the plan. And so if we ask the question, how? How do I bear fruit? I want to give you the game plan that we see here. Some of this stuff is review. Some of this will be a little fresh. But it's four things, really. You have to be alive in him. Like, you have to be made alive in Christ. That's not an automatic thing. That is a decision that by his grace, he enables you to make, to respond and saying, I was dead in my sins, but I put my faith in you, Jesus, and I want to be made alive. And he's like, all right, here's my life. Boom. You have to decide to follow Jesus. The second thing is you have to be present with God through the person of the Holy Spirit. And when you are made alive in Christ, you're given the Holy Spirit. But when the Spirit of God becomes the source of your life, the source of everything for you, there's a pivot point or we're not trying to live out of old resources, but instead we realize, apart from you, I can do nothing, and I have you, so here I am. Like, here I am, God. Like, I will receive your life. Then we have to have a vision of the future, which God is giving his disciples here, that they will bear more fruit. If you've ever wrestled with why am I here, what's my purpose on life, bear fruit. It's not some divine roadmap. It is for you to be fully alive in Christ in a way that changes your world. And it'll look different for everybody. And yes, there are specific steps that God will give us as we walk with him. But the primary goal is not to figure out the map. The primary goal is to be alive and fruitful. And you're set up for it because he's made you alive and he's given you the source of everything because he's given you himself. But you have to say, God, I want your vision for my life and saying, I want to bear fruit. And then this last part is these steps of faith. It is obedience that keeps us aligned, that keeps us hands open, saying yes, yielding to the Holy Spirit, saying, I can't do this without you, and I want your vision for my life, so I'll make these steps. I'll step out in faith. I will align my heart, and I will obey you. In verse 7, he says, you remain in me, 
and my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be given for you. And that's, sometimes we read that, we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Now, I mean, I'm here for that. But you hear what happens here. When we are obedient, we are yielding to God's presence and vision. Of course, we're going to start praying in a way that unleashes the kingdom because all of a sudden we start looking at ourselves and we start praying different. We quit putting up with things we've put up with our whole life. There's certain patterns in our life that we're like, if Christ is in me and I'm made to bear fruit, I can't do this anymore. Not just because it's wrong, but because it's killing me and it's keeping me from God's vision for me to bear fruit. No. We'll start to see relationally. We'll start to pray for relationships that are broken that need to be restored. We'll start to ask the Lord, what does it mean for me to forgive as I'm forgiven? You'll start thinking about your family members and your neighbors and even your enemies in a way where you see God's vision for their life is life. I mean, that's the beautiful thing about fruit, right? What does fruit have inside of it? Seeds. The fruit of God in your life has multiplication in mind. It has another source of life. Like, it wants to pass life beyond you. Branches don't care about fruit. They care about life, but they make fruit, and fruit produces more life. It continues itself. It's God's vision to see the earth filled with his glory. Verse 16, he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go bear fruit, fruit that will last. And then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. The more aligned with Jesus you're gonna be, the more you're gonna find you're asking for the things that are a part of his presence and his vision for you. You'll quit asking for like, oh man, it'd be really nice if I, you know, had a new set of tires, which I need a new set of tires. But what I really start going after is like, I want to be more like Jesus. I want to see my family restored. I want to see my neighbor who doesn't know you discover the life that can only be found in you. I want to see our community transformed. I want to be standing firm when the currents of, of life are just overwhelming me. Like, I want to be unmovable in the way that Jesus seemed unmovable no matter what was happening around him. And I can't do this apart from God's presence, but I'm not apart from his presence. And I know his vision is that I be more fruitful tomorrow than I am today. So God, take me there. Living from Jesus changes the way you pray for your world. And that's why I don't think Jesus is threatened by saying, if you abide in me, if you remain in me, and you ask, I'll answer those prayers. Because it's actually us saying yes to what he already wants to do. Like, I don't have to, is it God's will that I bear more fruit? Yes. The answer is yes. Is it God's will that I become more like Christ? Yes. The answer is yes. And so in the ways that we start praying for life in us and life to the world around us, those prayers become powerful because they align with what God has said he's already doing. And alignment has a yield. You bear more fruit. It just, it naturally happens. You can think about this in lots of different ways. But the simple thing is, is, is if, if God is like a faucet with no knobs, it never turns off. He's just flowing all the time. Alignment is like putting your cup under the thing to be filled up. It's not a question of, is, is God ever giving life? He is. His spirit is always moving. Jesus is always at work. 
Alignment is the times where we're like, I want to be filled to overflowing. I want the life that you're offering. And this is why he's like, when you obey, you remain in my love. It's not because you're living for the love of God. It's because you're living from the love of God. And the love of God fills you to the point where it bears fruit. In verse 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. If you remain in his love, you will become fruitful. Period. And the good news is he loves you in the same way that he himself is loved by his father. It is an unchanging, it is not dependent on you, it is dependent on him. The whole focus of this passage is not you, it's him. It's him being gracious and generous and loving of him pouring out his love, of him welcoming you as a friend, him making known to you not only his vision, but the next steps that you have. That bearing fruit game plan, I want to put this up as we kind of move to a time of response. And so um, our band, if you guys can come up. Um, to be alive in him, to be present to his presence in the Holy Spirit, to have a vision of the future, which is much fruit, and to have next steps of faith where you're aligning. This is how you will move from where you are to a more fruitful you. Uh, and there's a beauty in this that so much of it depends on Jesus' faithfulness, and he's already done it. Like the cross and the resurrection are you being set up with the Spirit, with forgiveness, with liberty, with freedom from sin, with all of the hindrances that could keep you from this plan. He's dealt with completely. So the questions I want to ask as we move to a time of reflection response, there's four of them. First, are you alive in Christ? Like as bare bones as I can put it, if you have not decided to follow Jesus, this is where your plan starts. Or you will become the you that you were made to be. It's to say, I, I, I'm not going to live any other way, but I'm going to put my faith in Jesus to make me alive in a way that only he can. If that's you, I'd welcome you to come. We'd love to pray with you um, and talk to you about what that means. The second thing, are you living from his presence and provision? Not for it. I'm not grasping to get to Jesus, but Jesus is, is offering himself. Am I living from what he's giving right now? If there's any other thing that you feel like you're turning to, it's going to be empty. It's not going to fulfill. It's not going to satisfy. And it's not going to make you who you've been made to be. Do you need to put some stuff down and say, I need, I need to pursue him as my very life? The third question, are you in alignment with his vision for your life? Like it's his plan of fruitfulness for you, the one thing that you're after. Or is it like, that'd be a nice, that's like your side hustle. It'd be nice, but I've got my eyes on this. If your vision is out of line with his, you're gonna feel tension in you because you were made for his vision, not yours. And you need to settle that. And the last question, what's your next step into fruitful living? And will you say yes? The one way that we remain in his love that's always pouring out is by yielding and following him in faith into what he's asking us. And chances are, the more you're with Jesus, the more your next steps just become clear. In the Psalms it says he's a light 
into our path. He's a lamp into our feet. It doesn't necessarily mean we get a game plan. It does mean he makes us the next step really clear. You'll be able to see the next step in front of you. And you have to have the faith and the courage to follow him. And you'll get that only when you live out of the love that he has for you. Trusting that when he calls you to a step, not only is the full provision for what you need going to be there, but he calls you to it because he loves you in the same way that he himself is loved. And he loves you enough to not leave you where you are, but to call you forward to become who you've been made to be.